Hey, everybody. So, in this episode of the H2O cast, we sit down with an advanced intermediate that is Josh Casey. Um, when he applies himself, he does well. The problem is he has to actually apply and not be into 14 other things. So, we're sitting down here with, with Fallon. Um, as you guys will get to know Fallon as, as you progress through the podcast and you start to listen and you... You read a few more things. She takes care of all my social media stuff. Um, so anything that you see is written. It's, you know, the grammar is correct. Good chance she did it. If you look <laughs> at it, it's misspelled and missing words and things like more gooder. I did that. Uh, so you can kind of see the the difference in the, um, the quality of work, if you will. Um, but, you know, anytime that you're, you know, corresponding with H2O cast or anything else, a good chance you're going to get Fallon. So I will say fuck a lot. Uh, she won't. So no. I don't think she knows. I, th- I think I've heard her say that word once, but I can't remember when it was, it was a really long time ago. So, but in any case, advanced intermediate, Josh Casey, what'd you think about this episode? You know, I actually, I personally know Josh, um, because he works in Brownsville now. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I met him at your strongman competitions when I was helping out with those. Um, so it was really kind of interesting to hear, about the whole restaurant experience and I learned a lot about him that I just did not know um from our brief encounters so I really enjoyed that episode mm-hmm. he's uh he's got a lot of really good things to say um but he holds his tongue a lot anything that's going to be public he he holds back a lot when it's me and him talking in like a dark room uh the shit he'll say is insane it really is um, but none of that's recorded, nor will ever come back to affect his political career in any way, shape, or form. Um, but just know that you know everybody's human. You know we all have these, these. Not, we all say stupid crap. Yeah, but it's fun. Like when me and Josh do it, it's a great time. Because um, really, he's one of the only guys in in all of Edmondson County that I can sit and talk football with. Um, I, I know you're you're all about the the anti sports. I'm not anti sports. I'm just not sports. For- that's anti-sports. That's you said not sports. I said anti-sports. I think if you look those up, they are synonyms. Technically, no. If you're anti-sports, that means you're against it. I just don't deal with it nor know anything about it. But people are more than welcome to like the sports. So you're more agnostic when it comes to sport versus atheist when it comes to sports. As many things in my life, yeah. Yeah, because like if you were to be atheist and you're, it's technically a religion because yes. it's a belief system and you're trying to recruit people. Whereas agnostic, they're like, fuck it, I don't care. So you're more of an agnostic view of sports, like ads there, they happen, they make money, that's cool. Sports! Yay! <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, that's that's what Josh kind of brings to the table for me. So it's good that you were able to see a different side of him. Um, I thought he was also very open about everything that happened with his restaurant, all of the stuff going on in his life. Um, and for anybody wanting to try to open a business or go through those things, especially in a very tiny town like Edmondson County, um, it was a really good listen for that. Yeah. It's fun that you say town and then you reference the county because it really is. It it's, kind of is just the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's really all the same thing. It, Brownsville is 800 people. The county is 12,000. And it's all just one small town. It and really is. The problem with a restaurant is like, I'm 15 minutes away from Brownsville, but I'm also 15 minutes away from Bowling Green. So if I was going to pick somewhere to go eat, I'm going to drive to Bowling Green with 30 options in 15 minutes 
versus versus one. probably driving to Brownsville. So it's just really, and then if you're on the other end of Edmondson County, it's the same thing with Litchfield. So you're just kind of stuck. It's it's a it's a hard choice to have to make. Um, and you know, I've I've said it before with Brownsville. If you stood on the corner and you gave away hookers and blow, people would drive to Bowling Green to buy it. Probably. Um, that's just it's just the way it is. So it's it was it's it was, ingrained. Yeah, it was hard to watch the whole restaurant thing, and then also to have him talk about it. Um, but he was he's very candid about it and how things go. So if you are looking at opening up a business, definitely enjoy this podcast and listen. And you know you can always contact me or Josh and ask any questions or follow ups or anything else. But overall, I really I enjoyed this podcast. Um, because you know, I'm sitting down with friends and I'm just talking. So that's really what it, what it's all about for me. All right. And we are live. Dave Waters here coming to you from, uh, the dining room of Mr. Josh Casey. Josh is a good personal close friend of mine. And we're going to be talking about a little bit of everything today. Um, to best describe Josh, a advanced intermediate on all things jack of all trades master of none but if i were to paint the amazing picture that is josh casey i would say he is the ideal conservative in that he's not too far to the right he's not too far to the fucking left and those people um not to say that i lean one way or the other but fuck a liberal um but that's that's the way that i would paint him so today you're going to be able to paint your own picture of what Josh Casey is. I'm not sure how I'd paint myself. Certainly not with that flowery language. Um, and I don't know if an ideal conservative exists, but I appreciate the compliment. Well, that's, that's the way I, I picture you because you seem to put life in a, in a good perspective. You don't go all the way over to the crazies. You're not a David Duke. You're not one of those fucking lunatics that's over there. That. I'm not sure it's fair to call David Duke conservative. He's just a Nazi. Yeah, but they claim the right side, which seems to be a bunch of horseshit. Listen, you can claim the west side. That don't make you Tupac. True. True statement. I, I will I will concur with that. Um, or anybody else on fucking Fox News. I'll go that route then. Because they all claim to be conservatives too, but they're just way too far over there. Um, some of the ideals that they have for for capitalism the way it should work I just I, I just don't like it um, for me personally living in a flyover state um, it's a little tough because there's too many decisions to get made close to the water and if you're not living that salt life you don't get any choice you don't get any say the vast majority of decisions being discussed on cable news have very little effect on how any of us actually live it's more about making a show than it is anything has, like I said, very little impact on day-to-day lives of middle Americans. Well, what do you feel about the way that social media is skewing all of our young people's views on things? You know, it's interesting. I've actually been having conversations with my wife, who's in school right now, uh, about social media here recently. For her, she's she's pursuing her, her nurse practitioner. And uh, for her, we were discussing uh, vaccine hesitancy in this this weird trend we've hit where all of a sudden vaccines are bad um, because, you know, they might make you sick as opposed to getting polio or the measles. Um, but I think it's it's a super, it's, it's a great example for the 
negative influences of social media, and there are, there are plenty of positive influences of social media, but it used to be in our country that to have an opinion that everybody would hear, you had to have demonstrated some sort of credibility in a field, achieved a certain level of excellence, before anybody would stick a microphone in your face and ask questions that, that they think people should care about your opinions. For example, this podcast. Nobody cares what you think. Nobody cares what I think. But here we are with two microphones, well, one microphone, and you know, we're making a podcast. We could say any number of insane and unsubstantiated things here that somebody might believe. And ultimately, that's dangerous. It gets people in trouble. It makes people sick. But as much as those are terrible people that do that, we have to inherit a certain amount of responsibility for that, You know, recognizing our own bias our own cognitive bias to want to believe the things we want to believe, whether they're true or not. Most people form an opinion and then go looking for something to back it up. And you can form any opinion you want, and somebody on the internet will support you in it. Guaranteed. Absolutely. You can search for whatever you want to find. Um, and I find that many people, when they are searching, they, they already have what they want in mind. It's already there. Um, they, they generate their questions to put into Google for the answer they want. I was just searching myself, uh, pro-vaccination uh, doctor from the Joe Rogan Show, because this guy, <clears throat> I listened to his his podcast he had with Joe Rogan, um, and they talked for several hours about vaccinations and what they cause and what they don't cause, and what the anti-vaxxers are able to do. The guy's written a book on it. Um, he's out at, I want to say, John Hopkins, um, and all he does is just create vaccines. That's his whole fucking life. And they've done all the studies. And he's written a book about it to say that vaccines are safe for you to use and do not cause autism um, or any of the other horrible things that a lot of anti-vaxxers are saying. But his book is number 19 on Amazon's list of vaccination books. He has the number one pro-vaccination book, but that means there's 19 other anti-vax sure, books I'm, above that. I'm sure number one was written by Dr. Jenny McCarthy. Yes, yes, Dr. Jenny McCarthy. But my understanding is, and somebody out there would have to correct me if I'm wrong, um, in watching my wife do the research, that the Centers for Disease Control has conducted nine different studies since 2003, none of which show any link to autism. Mm -hmm. And I, it's curious, we've gotten to a point, our great-grandparents lined up gleefully to get vaccinations for deadly diseases that were killing people in their own community. Now we take the time to debate whether or not they're a good thing, and I'm afraid it's just because, well, let's, let's call it what it is, we're, we're, we're a little pampered, we're a little soft, nobody you know has died from polio. If people you knew died from polio and somebody offered you a shot that said, this will guarantee you never get polio, you'd take the shot. Absolutely. The, uh, the huge outbreak they've got in Vancouver right now for measles is phenomenal. Because now you've got people that want their kids to be vaccinated, but can't be vaccinated for measles until 12 months old. Correct. Um, so until that time, now you've got all these other kids that are out there that are not vaccinated for measles that could be carrying said disease and give it to your infant, which will then kill it. Right. And there are kids who cannot take vaccinations. There are several medical conditions that make vaccinations dangerous to you. You know, autoimmune disease and stuff like that. And what has always protected these children and children that aren't old enough to be vaccinated is that the rest of the world around them was vaccinated. And that's no longer true. 
vaccinations, when they came along, were considered a medical marvel. And we sat back and we patted ourselves on the back and said, look how great we are, how, how advanced we are and what we've achieved. And, you know, here we are in 2019 and the, the earth is flat again and vaccines are bad. I don't know how we've come to this. Um, you, you talk to some of the people that believe I, in this flat I blame the cancellation of Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock could have something to do with it, uh, but they canceled that in, what, 1980? Just saying. Yeah. Um, but I don't see a lot of reruns anymore either. Uh, so, But yeah, the whole like Earth being flat, vaccinations being bad, um, criminalization of everything. I mean everything. I mean, look at the, the situation right now with, like, Louis C.K. You can't even jerk off in front of a girl anymore without it being assault. It's just it's just weird. Um, we've reached a point in our life that... Are you familiar with the, the whole Louis C.K. thing? I'm familiar with it. I don't know that I would compare his predicament to flat earthers or vaccine, or vaccine deniers. Um, I think, in any objective sense, he probably knew he was riding a line pretty close there. Yeah, he did. And he's definitely, you know, a and, sicko and, and got some shit wrong with him. Right. And However, you've not walked into any office you've ever been in and tried that particular trick and thought, this is fine. <laughs> it never crossed my mind to do that. Um, definitely not. However, uh, for the situation that he's in, where he's, you know, being ostracized, being doxxed, not able to book shows, not able to earn a living anymore, because he asked girls if he could, they said yes. Then he did it. I worry that we're getting into a, into a period in time when accusations are more important than um, proof. They absolutely are. With his situation, he came along and said, yeah, I did all these things. Um, so it's not like we're talking about false accusations. He owned up to all that, which, yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. People should be stand-up people. They should take responsibility for what they do. And it would be nice... You know, in a perfect world, society would give them another chance. And I I don't know. In one sense, I feel bad for him because, yes, a few mistakes have temporarily ruined his livelihood. And I say temporarily because Americans have amazingly short attention spans. We'll forget. It'll be okay. Uh, I hear Roseanne's going back on tour. Yeah, I mean, listen. Ray Lewis, you know witnessed a murder didn't say anything and everybody was fine with him what 10 years later he's like one of the most beloved announcers on TV as long as you win a Super Bowl you can do whatever you want sure but on the other hand I don't feel bad at all for Louis C.K. because the only reason he thought that was okay is because hey I'm Louis C.K. they probably want to see this he did that before he was famous too though I think he was just a bit demented and sexually I don't have assistance you don't have assistance. At the point in your life when you start having people pick up your dry cleaning, you have reached a certain level where it goes to your head a little. And some people can handle it and some people can't. Hmm. So I've not had girlfriends I've had assistants. Okay, I see it. I see it. Um, but they weren't always assistants for him either. It was just like random chicks too. Yeah, but isn't that like a whole order of magnitude worse? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I yeah. have no relationship with you. But think you'd like to see me perform this wildly intimate act. Hey, man. People are freaks. I mean, there's there's a reason why people go to Amsterdam. I'm just saying. Or anything Eastern Bloc, really. They're trying to get some shit off their chest. Or on it. Either way. But people are inherently 
demented. Yeah, there's something wrong with people. No mm-hmm. doubt about that. Yeah, there's something wrong with people. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of just end every discussion with that. With there's something wrong with people. So let's talk a little bit about where where Josh Casey comes from. Um, you're you're kind of a pillar in this community. You know, Edmondson County is a small place, but it's beloved because well, I came from here, so I mean it's got to be good for something. Probably has nothing to do with it. Something to do with it, maybe, possibly. Uh, there were a certain amount of morals and and other things that I was able to learn from this place. Um, so it helped shape who I am. You know, a lot of my life was shaped through the Air Force and being gone for several years and then coming back and seeing it never changed even a slight bit. We ended up with a larger Minute Mart. We now have a subway, and I think the road is a little bit wider than when I left. They other, paved a few other ones, too. Yeah. Other than that, really, the county has not changed a ton. Um, the biggest change for me was when I got back in 2014, was there was a gun store. And I was like, oh man, this is kind of fucking cool. We got a gun store. I didn't think we'd ever get one. And we got that family dollar, which is next to it. Um, but you own and run the gun store in town, CNC Firearms. That's the rumor. Uh, at least that's the one I'm spreading. Um, so you're not from here. You're, you're a transplant. I am a transplant. Um, where'd you come from? And how'd you get here? Sort of a convoluted trip, but... I am from Pike County in Eastern Kentucky. You know, it's it's a whole it's a small place, kind of like here, in that you don't tell people you're from Mammoth Cave. You tell people you're from Brownsville because it's easier to find on a map. So I say Pike full, though. You know, my family's from slightly smaller places out in the county. Um, you know, Dad was a coal miner. Uh, both my grandparents, grandfathers were coal miners. My uncles were coal miners. You know, it's just it. Everybody mined coal. Um, at some point, when I was very young. My mom comes to my dad and says, I think I'd like to be a doctor. And she goes back to med school at age 30. And we uproot from Pike County and moved to Lexington. She, she, what did she do before she decided to do that? Mom did a little bit of everything. Mom went to college straight out of, out of high school and got her four-year degree in chemistry and biology. She had a double major there. And uh, her regular job was uh, as an x-ray tech, uh, working in the radiology department there at Pikeville Methodist Hospital. Now, mom's a hustler. You know, mom sold Avon. Mom had her federal firearms license selling guns. Um, you know, mom and dad ran a small wholesale business on the side. You know, they were they were hustlers, whatever it took, you know, to make ends meet. They were living in an area that even having some of the better jobs in the county, like mining coal, nobody's living high on the hog, you know. And they're coming from parents, from families that were living even lower. You know, so they had a real appreciation for, for the work ethic it took to get by, but they uproot, they moved to Lexington. Mom goes to the University of Kentucky. Let's touch on something there for, for Pikeville for just a minute, or Pike County, rather. Um, is there truly a middle class, lower class there, or is everybody kind of just bundled into surviving or thriving? That's actually wildly different than you would think, particularly in Pikeville proper, in that we were always told, and I have no actual statistical data to back this up, but it's what we were taught is that Pikeville had more cap, more millionaires per capita than any other place in Kentucky. Now, that seems to go against every stereotype you've ever heard. That Appalachian Eastern Kentucky is full of nothing but poor people, hard scrabble people, um, that have no opportunities and little education. And you, you picture a coal miner, and you picture everybody's a coal miner. Well, somebody's got to own the coal mine. 
and that dude is making a ton of money off the backs of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there was a certain amount of wealth being created, but it was held among a very few uh, members of the population. So you had a huge income disparity. You had a middle class, but it was probably the smaller. Um, you had a small, small, small upper class, a slightly larger but still small middle class, and then a large lower class. Though, as a young person in Eastern Kentucky, you, you don't tend to think of it that way. You know, everything is family oriented, sort of like it is here. You grow up with cousins and you grow up with uncles. You know, you know your second cousin, you know your third cousin because that's who you spend time with. So, if you're all in the same economic boat, rowing the same way, you don't really notice any income disparity among your own community, but it existed. Okay. So, with that, because it just kind of leads me down this nice little rabbit hole. You enunciate very well. Uh, at what point did that actually start? Because as a kid, you're going to talk the way everybody else does. Sure. You're going to have a little bit of draw in there and talk like this a little bit and, and let's have honest, a few of the words. If I spend enough time at home in Pike County, it creeps back out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very young the first time we left Pike County. Okay. And I go to Lexington to where kids say stuff like, you talk funny. And you become aware for the first time in your life that you talked funny because you talked like everybody else talked. Which is weird because people in Lexington, they fucking talk funny. So, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I went from a school system, or I went from what would have been a school system where everybody talked like, like everybody talked and no corrections were being made to one in Lexington where they're like, you know that's not how that word's pronounced, right? Like more gooder? Right. We didn't use oh, we didn't say gooder. But, you know, a lot of words have multiple meanings. You know, like far is, you know, it's far away. At the same time, it's that hot stuff over there at the campsite. <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, we moved from Pikeville to Lexington, well, from Pike County to Lexington to Madisonville back to Pike County. Um, and you end up in three geographically distinct parts of the state, with three distinct ways of speaking. And you sort of adapt over time to all three. And then I end up um, back in Pike County, join a youth organization um, that does a lot of public speaking, emphasizes public speaking. Now, what organization is that? Well, that's that's the International Order of DMLA, um, which I only hesitate to mention um, because they would not approve the language you're using on this podcast and I was taught the good news is and I was taught in DMLA never to take DMLA to a place you wouldn't take your mother I mean mom can come over at any time I may adjust the way I speak when mom's here however so um, we would adjust it when talking about a youth organization right so you're not going to hear me say as much at this moment but the rest of the podcast is mine and I will typically talk the way I want to. However, so, so, out of respect for your organization. So DMLA is an organization for, for young men, 12 to 21, that's sponsored by the Masons. Not the Illuminati, not the Rosicrucians. We don't have the Holy Grail, but sponsored by the Masons. Um, they serve as our, as our adult advisors. They were our adult leaders. But uh, DMLA allows young men to build their own program and execute their own program, but it focuses on being a character-building organization. So they still teach even though it's becoming less and less popular, they still teach uh, what we would consider traditional manly virtues. And 
in the age of toxic masculinity, and that was air quotes for those who can't see that at home. Yeah. Um, and you also can't hear me rolling my fucking eyes. And there we go again. I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying. In the age of toxic masculinity, I, some people don't like to hear that. Um, but Demolay teaches uh, respect and deference for all women, but particularly mothers. And we are taught to open doors for women, and we are taught to protect women, and we are taught things like courtesy and comradeship and fidelity and patriotism, things that aren't necessarily the most popular of virtues these days. But in and amongst that program, there is a tremendous amount of public speaking, both from the traditional debate style um, to more formalized uh, ritualisms in the work. You know, we all had parts to memorize, you know, as if you were putting on a play. So through that, at some point you go from a young man who is very, very nervous about public speaking to you just don't care anymore. You know, public speaking comes pretty easy at this point because it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So I, if I've cleaned up my accent over the years, that's probably the biggest influencer. Enunciation is important because um, I, I found out personally when I left for basic training after about two weeks, I saw the uh, the other kids from hollers around the nation uh, that would get made fun of, picked on very quickly, um, and basically just called stupid for the way that they enunciated their words. None of them were dumb. They all made it in. They all got there. Um, but I noticed that the way that they would enunciate, they were labeled very quickly. I decided to change my, my speech patterns because before I left... I had quite a little draw, and it was it was fun when I'm hanging out with my dad, or when I used to speak to my grandma, or you know anybody else close to family. It would come right back, and it still does to this day. But I have found that I would much rather enunciate than anything else. And if I say anything stupid, like more gooder, it's on purpose. Right. It's for fun. Listen, uh, if if during the course of this podcast my Eastern Kentucky accent pops back out, and you'll know. There's a word with a lot of eyes in it. it. Sometimes it happens. Let's give an example uh, of that. Sorry. Well, it's like it's like when I, when I say Pikeville, mm-hmm. Pikeville is a more appropriate pronunciation. P i g h t v u l. There's no K in there anywhere. No. No. Okay. That's and good. if that happens, I am in no way ashamed of my Eastern Kentucky accent. That, okay. That's who I am. But I have found it easier to communicate with people around the country without it. You pull up to a drive-through in Los Angeles. It's it's helpful to get your order correct, mm-hmm. just that sort of thing. Right. Though I try to spend as little time in California as humanly possible. Yeah, it's. Um, I know some lovely people in California. Uh, the newest world strongest man lives in California. Ode Haugen is out there in California. Um, I have a lot of really good friends out there. I like to visit them for very short amounts of time because I can't stand that place. The weather they say is great. I went there last year, and it was in March. And I was like, okay, look, I've got a kilt and a polo. Is that going to be good? It's California. We should be good, right? Oh, yeah, we're going to be on the beach. It's going to be super warm. You're going to see California and how great it is. We get to the beach. It's 53 degrees, and there's a 20-mile-an-hour wind. It feels like it's 35. I'm in a kilt and a polo. I'm aggravated because I'm getting sunburned at the same time. I'm like, you guys spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars each month just to live here for this weather. And I looked up on my phone. I said, what's the weather like in Brownsville? 75 and sunny with no wind. That's How good. is that better? Kentucky weather is its own dumpster fire. But 
California's finally had some rain this year, most rain they've had in forever. But my whole life they've pitched how great the weather is out there. Mm-hmm. And then every year they'd get no rain and the whole state would catch fire. Yeah, I got to see some of that this year, some of the aftermath of the big Seems fire. Seems like a poor trade-off to dodge the occasional thunderstorm. Yeah, I'll take an occasional tornado over my house is going to burn down and there's nothing I can do about it. Just signs from God to leave California. Mm-hmm. Fire and brimstone, literally. <laughs> yeah, when I went out there this year in March, um, I got a lovely tour up Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, it was actually Martins, the, the newest World's Strongest Man, who got to give me the tour. And he's driving me around and showing me where everything is burnt. But everything that was burnt is now green again. Because it all has grown back. It's all come right back the way it was. It's a natural cycle. And the only thing that people are mad about is their house is burned down. I was like, maybe. I don't know. Don't build your house and stop the wildfires. Keep them burning. The Indians at the time, way back before we killed them all, um, would do controlled burns. They did that on purpose to try to keep the vegetation down so it didn't create a ton of kindling to then burn down all your all your homes. Um, and they don't do that. They don't control anything there. They just let it all grow because killing anything in California is a sin, apparently. They, they um, don't believe in sin there. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're absent of religion and or God in that place. But you can't kill anything. Um, you can't kill a cow and eat it. You can't kill a tree. Um, you can't kill anything except for each other in traffic. And then that's okay. But, like I said, in my times out there, I've had a great time. Amazing people I get to stay with. Um, and and I, I love my short times out there. However, you could not pay me enough money to live out there. I could be making Joe Rogan money and I would not live in L.A. There's just no way. I hear he's doing pretty well. He is doing good. <laughs> I would still not live in L.A. I would still live here. And maybe commute. Because this is a traveling podcast as it is. I go to wherever my guests are. And I'm fine with that because I can afford the gas here. It's only, what, I saw it for 215 in Tennessee today for unleaded. Yeah, I think we're around 230. Yeah, in California, uh, four. That's the cheapest. Yeah, F that noise, man. And, and I drive like a sensible car. It's a little Jetta. I get like 30 miles to a gallon. I'm happy with that. That's fine with me. Because I'd rather just live a little bit cheaper. I don't need to spend ten grand a month to live in a place. It's just not worth it to me. No. So you moved to Lexington. You moved to Lexington. Uh, Mom graduates med school. Um, moved to Madisonville. She so that she can uh, pursue her residency. Um, and then by the time I'm in seventh grade, we move back to Pike County, and she establishes a practice. And uh, you know, think things become pretty different. You know, there 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 is a definite difference in the lifestyle when mom and dad are are coal miners and you know hospital workers to mom's a doctor now i'm extraordinarily blessed that that change in lifestyle didn't come until i was almost already who i at least feel felt like i was going to be so that i don't know i think privilege has a negative influence on character most of the time not all the time most of the time Right. It's a, it's a good general statement you can make that many times privilege is a problem. And I think it's a blessing to have established, you know, a certain foundation in character and morals and who I thought I was going to be and who I wanted to be and what I thought was right and what I thought was wrong before all that came along because money has a negative influence. So 
uh, graduated high school in Pike County, uh, moved back to Lexington, grounds I'm familiar with, to go to UK, University of Kentucky, for college, because it's basically what we all did. You had to leave Pike County, it's what we were told. There's nothing going on here. There are no jobs. If you don't want to mine coal, you're going to have to go. Go to college, get a degree. You, then you can come back if you want to, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be something like that. But other than that, there's nothing here. You know, it's, what, it's the way it was told, and it's the way we believed it, because it's kind of what we'd seen. And this is also long before the whole Learn to Code movement. Sure. This is, this is long before the Learn to Code movement, as I'm not sure. There were, there were like, uh, and Steve Jobs and like uh, Wozniak were probably coding, but they might have been like two of the ten people in the country. I mean, I graduated in 2000. The Internet's a thing, but it's not the thing we know it to be today. Right. You know, I, I am in part of that population that remembers getting the little like uh, AOL floppy disks in the mail, you know, since <laughs> you get like 12 minutes of internet or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I think Amazon at that point was still out of a garage. Selling textbooks. Yeah. And I think he had upgraded to a garage and not um, a bedroom at that point. So, so you know, uh, I'm registering for college classes via phone. Like you pick it up and you dial the class code to register, you know, like not what? a cell phone. It had a cord. You plug it in the wall, that whole thing. Phones uh, plugged into the wall? That's a thing. And, oh, man. And then I go to college for the better part of seven years. Uh, Van Wilder comes to mind? I would like to say I enjoyed college enough for that to be an apt description. Um, a general sense of laziness probably took over. They have a saying for people that go to school for seven years. They have a title for them. They call them yeah, you, uh, you, you, doctors. You done ruined the Tommy Boy joke. He choked on it, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, they call them doctors. I was a professional student. Let's put it that way. I was that guy who, uh, listen, my first semester in college, I, I gave it my all. I did pretty well. Um, I have a real issue with algebra. I failed college algebra four times, and it's the one class I can claim with 100% certainty. I tried every time. When I went to UK, I had a partial academic scholarship. My grades were good. My ACT score was good. I'm a smart kid. Um, and that first semester, I failed college algebra despite my best efforts, and I think I got A's, B's pretty much the rest of the way. Um, but I don't know. That first failure, I lost a little interest in college, and then I lost a lot of interest in college. And then I decided I didn't like my major, which I think was management and marketing when I first went, um, so I switched it. What was that, that first push that made you not like college? Was it just the algebra part? The algebra thing, you know, I think I was already to a point where I was having some disagreements with the institution of college. It was pretty obvious to me pretty quickly that academia was a thought factory. They taught kids how they wanted them to think and believe in that teachers weren't just teachers like we grew up with them in high school. In high school, they teach you how an equation works or they teach you what happened to the Battle of Waterloo. Um, you know, you take a class in college and they'll tell you about Waterloo and they'll tell you about why the current sitting U.S. president's an evil man. Um, and I didn't like that. I didn't like... So do you feel that the institution itself had an agenda or that each individual professor well, the fell in line with an agenda? The institution as a whole has an agenda on its own and that's... It is a for-profit business. These are public, non-profit universities, most of them, but they are a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. Any institution where textbooks cost thousands of dollars a semester is a money-making institution. Any institution 
that sells three times as many parking passes as it has parking spaces is a money-making institution. They own, they sell you access. They sell you access to a future job you think you might want in that you have to have their little piece of paper to get through the door, to get through the stack of resumes that somebody's going to look at to hire somebody. Uh, we're seeing that become less and less true as uh, skilled labor in this country declines to the point that there's a gap in those jobs and we need more people to go to trade school than we do four-year college degrees and we're seeing higher college unemployment and uh, higher student loan debt that can't be repaid because people aren't working. But I, I didn't like attendance policies. I felt like uh, you're, there's only four grades in this class. It's four tests. If I can pass all your tests, why do I have to be here? And that's a little bit arrogant. And as I've grown up, I realized that it's participation was, was part of the benefit learning mm -hmm. to work with other people, learning to have conversations with other people, learning to be open to other, other perspectives. There was a lot of arrogance in that thought when I was young, and it took me a long, long time to figure that out. So I changed majors a bunch of times. I changed colleges twice. I enrolled at Sullivan for a semester. Then I enrolled at Eastern Kentucky University for a semester. And between that, I took a job with IMG um, in their association management uh, division doing sales one of the largest multimedia company on the planet yeah the section I worked in like I said was the association management section uh, formerly was host communications um, so people were used to be familiar with host communications as broadcasting all the University of Kentucky basketball and football games brought to you by host communications they were bought out by IMG and um, the collegiate side was part of the purchase but also was the association management people who don't know if you are an accountant somewhere out there, there is the National Association of Accountants. You know, and you go to meetings and they have trade shows and all that stuff. Well, there's guys who sell the advertising there and guys who sell the trade show space there and guys who sell all the marketing materials. That, that was me. Uh, I was uh, just a shill. It is what it is. And um, I got fed up with that and that's when I went back to EKU and I thought, you know, I've had, I've had this job for a couple of years. They're right. I want a degree so I can get into something different. Um, corporate sales, no matter what happens, you're letting somebody down. Either you're selling a customer more than they need and they're let down that you've taken so much of their money and your bosses are happy, or you're underselling them to the goals your bosses have given you. Bosses are happy and your customers are happy, but your bosses are now upset. It's a no-win situation. It's a little bit soul-crushing. I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to go back to school. But I didn't really go back to school. I enrolled. Um, I took a fantastic bluegrass music class. Um, and that was about the only one I went to. <laughs> um, and I, I say that, and it's kind of funny now. And, you know, listen, to be clear about what was happening. At this point, I was uh, still spending mom and dad's hope in me in that they were still willing to fund this college experiment because they really, really wanted me to get through it. Um, but at some point, I just had to own up to the fact this wasn't working. I'm not interested. They're not interested in me. Um, we, me and college just need to part ways just so happened at this time my dad and my mother had moved here to Edmondson County where her my mom's sister had moved to some years before they bought a place down here wanted to retire down here um, so they moved down here and dad ended up having a pretty serious uh, spinal surgery I think his listing lifting restrictions where he couldn't lift a gallon of milk for like six weeks so it's pretty serious restrictions I had just bailed on college for the third time and I said listen you need help. I need some place to go. Let me come down here. They bought a little farm. You know, dad couldn't take care of it for six weeks and 
well, I couldn't lift a gallon of milk for six weeks. Couldn't take of it for longer. Couldn't take care of it for longer than that. So I came down here, jumped in, helped him, did the farm life all day, every day for a little while. And um, as dad got better, my mom's sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she moved in along with her husband who had advanced Parkinson's. And they needed round-the-clock care. And I did that for a couple years. And I would say, I, I think I was 20, that was 28, 29, 30 for me, those, those two years there. Um, and uh, that, that's when my head started to clear. I started to kind of figure out some things. You're in college, you're young, you're still full of angst, all that fun stuff. Everything that's happening to you is just super important and nobody... Nobody's gone through it the way you have, and you're, you're that guy. And then when your life becomes about taking care of other people and, you know, from everything to make sure they get their medication right, to make sure they, they, they can get to the restroom when they need to go, all that becomes BS and you know it. You become, you become acutely aware of how little most of the things you made giant ordeals mattered. They just did not matter. Um, things clicked for me. Um, that, that's when I grew up. If I grew up, that's when I grew up. And so there came a time my aunt passed. Um, my uncle's Parkinson's advanced to the point where he needed to be in a nursing facility where they could start IVs when he needed them. You know, that sort of thing that I can't do. If it was just a matter of feeding him, keeping him clean, giving him medicine, all that stuff, I'm more than happy to do it. But he needed more care than I could provide. And so now we're in, we're in another transition period in that I have no job. I've not even started looking for a job because I've just spent two and a half years taking care of other people. Dad, aunt, uncle. And literally I'm riding around a car with mom and dad through Brownsville, which is the bustling metropolis of Edmondson County. All 850 some odd people of us. If you blink, you'll miss it. And we pulled into Family Dollar. And next to Family Dollar, um, there was an empty storefront. And I said these words, that'd be a cool place for a gun store. Later that night, we were applying for a federal firearms license. We tend to jump into things. For good or for bad, usually for good. You know, um, I think with most risks, if you think about them too long, you just won't do them because they're called risks for a reason. Absolutely. You know, I think most people think think about them too long, just won't do them. Um, so yeah, I opened a gun shop, um, and I did that for. Now, what what year was that? That was July third, twenty twelve, and I remember that specifically because only a retard opens a retail establishment the day before he's going to be closed for July 4th. <laughs> Any smart guy on the planet would have opened July 5th, not me. <laughs> so, you know, for the next five years, that's my life. Let's, let's, let's just get this off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's some other things that start to change there. Um, again, you guys are listening uh, to this on radio. I am a, a rather large human being, not in the good sense. More in the uh, has his own gravity sense, <laughs> uh, you know. And at some point through the through the uh, through the gun store, I, I built a new social group because again, I hadn't, I hadn't been out of the house in two and a half years. I was playing nursemaid twenty four seven, so I hadn't built a group of friends down here. And I did that through my gun shop, and one of whom was Dave, who I'm sitting here with. And at some point in those five years, um, one of the changes that came along is uh, I started going to the gym with Dave. Lost a hundred pounds with Dave, and I know what you're thinking. Lost 100 pounds. He must look good. Nope. Still fat as hell. <laughs> uh, still have a ways to go. But anyway, 
you, uh, you did look a lot better. Yeah, I digress. Yeah. I digress. It's a work in progress. I think we took the foot out of the grave, right. but you still had one of the banana peel. I uh, uh, met the woman that's now my wife. Um, we dated for all three months, got engaged, and we're engaged for 15 months. 15 months as we waited for the wedding venue of her choice to become available. Yeah. On the hottest freaking day of the entire year. And thank you for that. The gun store is doing okay. Um, the gun store rides the political waves quite a bit. Uh, politics aside, when you have a Democratic president in office, gun control tends to get talked about more. Gun sales rise off of the fear of, of potential gun control. Americans will line up to do anything you tell them they can't do. Mm-hmm. So people rushed in and bought guns, and then you you know you come into a time where people feel safe in their right to own firearms not being threatened. So now they're not rushing out to buy. So you see a lot of ups and downs. Um, but you know, on the string of a few successes, I'd gotten healthier. I did not say healthy; I said healthier. I'd gotten healthier. I'd met just a wonderful woman, getting married, building a house. I've got five years under my belt at the gun shop. I'm thinking. we can be open to considering, you know, some other ventures. You know, I've pretty much got this thing to where I don't have to be here every minute of every day. I've got some part-time help. And again, as it happens, uh, my wife and I drive out to South Dakota to meet my parents who are staying out in Custer for a week doing the whole uh, Mount Rushmore uh, sitting bull kind of sightseeing. And we're driving around and I made mention of a restaurant that had gone out of business in Brownsville having put their place up for sale. All I said was, this place is for sale. Later that night, we were talking about opening a restaurant. So, gun store. I'm I'm noticing a pattern here. Right. You should maybe stop just mentioning random shit. (laughs) Right. So, gun stores, in my opinion, on autopilot, doing what it does. Um, I'm feeling better. Uh, I've got a great wife. Always one of my one of my dreams has always been to run my own restaurant. So I think let's jump into this. Let's give it a shot. Why not? So we did. Directly across the street from my gun shop, we opened Sportsman's Grill on April seventh, two thousand and eighteen. And our last day in business at the restaurant will be July sixth, twenty nineteen. Everybody tells you that that is the hardest business you'll ever get into, and you know that going into it, you tell yourself. They're probably right. That's not just something the whole world is saying. They're probably right. You have to be prepared for this. And it's worth noting I hadn't worked not a single minute in a restaurant in my whole life. I could not have had less experience other than I really enjoyed cooking going into this. Uh, Well, if it's possible for them to be underselling it when they say this is the hardest thing you'll ever do, they're underselling it. It is a wonderful beast in that Sometimes it was the most fun thing I've ever done. You know, the people I worked with, the staff we grew, just a wonderful group of people who I'm thrilled to get to know. We gave a lot of young people the first job they ever had, and they've grown into some pretty cool people. Um, And there's, There's something special when you're cooking for people and you see a dining room full of people you don't know really enjoying the food you've made for them. That's super awesome. The, you know, 90 plus hour work weeks, um, you know, the razor thin margins, the incredible rates of employee turnover. Um, those are the things that aren't so fun. Um, 
and in this particular case those went out uh, we just did not get the business we needed to stay afloat so literally as we we're recording this some four or five hours ago I, I announced via social media that July 6th would be the last day for my restaurant you know so it, it's it's sort of a bittersweet time because there's some pretty cool stuff going on in my life personally but this this is definitely a loss but I've had a few it'd be okay now do you really see it as an overall loss or have you learned a shit ton from all of this and your next ventures that are going to happen um, because next week you might just mention something to mom and dad and then you'll be no, that's back not, looking that's, up something up new. It's not going to happen, at least not for a while. You know, my wife and I have designs on a family that's going to require a little more stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in this venture, when it comes to, okay, things are tight at the restaurant this month. Who gets paid, my employees or me? My employees get paid. I don't. Um, when there's kids... That's not cute anymore. Just not going to do it. I do look at it as a loss, and that's okay. You lose in life. I do look at it as a loss. Uh, we jumped in big. Uh, we renovated this restaurant. We upgraded this restaurant. We built what we thought was an updated, more modern menu with a higher quality of food that people would really enjoy. Um, we must have been wrong. While we had a very loyal base of regulars, whose support I can't thank them enough for. It's what kept us going. It's what kept us looking forward to going in there every day. There just weren't enough of them. Now, some of that's geography. You know, I mentioned earlier, there's 850 people in this town. You know. Not all of them will come to the restaurant to eat every day. Right. And, that, and that, that's a bit of a problem. So, yeah, it's, it's a loss. A lot of time, literal blood, sweat, and tears were invested into this place. But at the end, I won't say we'll have nothing to show for it. Made a lot of friends, met a lot of cool people, maybe gave some kids a start, a taste of, of real life, their first job. Those are worthwhile. From, from a financial standpoint, you know, it, it was less than productive. Uh, so there's definitely a loss there, but that's okay. So what's the next move for Josh? Josh is going to go back to his gun shop which has suffered somewhat over the past few years from the politics we talked about and possibly from my absence while I attempted to get the restaurant off the ground. Um, I have some great employees at the gun shop who really care about the place, but I don't care who you hire. Nobody cares about it like you do. You know, nobody is going to push as hard as you'll push. Nobody's going to put in the hours you're going to put in. So my goal for Josh is to go back and try to uh, rebuild my foundation, get the gun shop going again, and uh, my wife and I can uh, explore our family plans. So you had mentioned before that uh, you know she's going back to get her um, nurse practitioner uh, to get that title and to, to move on. So what is her plan there as far as with family life? making that adjustment is that going to be working for a doctor and doctor's office staying in the hospital what kind of lane is she going to go down she's early enough in the process that she's open to that a not being settled now and b even if it was knowing it might change Um, as with most programs like that the last last almost year she'll spend doing clinical rotations 
which will give her a greater exposure to different fields of medicine and different types of facilities that will help her kind of make that choice. Okay. But as far as the whole family thing and how that's going to roll in, you know, they say you marry your mother. Um, you know, Lauren's ready to have kids. She's more than willing to be pregnant and going to school and working full time all at the same time. My mother had my little sister in her second year of med school. It's kind of crazy. And she just recently retired. She did. She hasn't had a day off since. Didn't figure she would um, because she doesn't know how to retire. I'm surprised she can spell it because not working is not in her, not in her vocabulary. It just doesn't work. Um, I don't see her being able to function without a purpose. It will definitely be difficult. You know, Mom's got a ton of things she'd like to be doing other than the work she's always had to do but I don't you work as hard as she did to get to where she was and your life is about that for 30 years it's a hard switch to flip I would think for anybody I don't know my old man was able to go from working every day to doing nothing really easily mom's not a nothing person mom is not a nothing person dad's not a nothing person if they're not at least I won't say busy but if they're not at least occupied something productive um, they're going to go crazy and for mom you know she's got her cows and she's got her garden and she's got her great grandbabies and stuff like that 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 is how she would like to fill her day at least that's what she says I, I don't know if she doesn't miss some of the uh, I don't know I would imagine it uh, it goes it, it's a big change to go from uh, treating patients saving lives to man I grew some nice tomatoes this year I don't know. She may struggle with that. That remains to be seen. She says she won't. Jury's still out. Yeah, I don't know that I believe that. I, I don't think that nice tomatoes will hold her over. I just don't see it. After knowing her as long as I have, I just don't see it working. She's going to find something else to do. Most likely. Yeah. So when you were doing the restaurant and trying to get that all kind of up and running... Uh, what else was going on in your life at the same time? Have I told you I'm an idiot? You may have mentioned that, um, listen, but let's just go ahead and reiterate. Listen, I love my life, but at the exact same time I was opening a restaurant, I was planning a wedding, uh, building a house, and I decided to throw my hat in the ring and run for magistrate here in our local elections. For those of you who don't have magistrates in your own um particular locality because every county set up a little different it's easy to think of magistrates as the same as a city councilman in a city but for the county so most cities are set up to where they'll have a mayor who runs day-to-day operations and a city council that votes on policy and procedures um, our county set up the same way except for instead of a mayor we have a county judge executive and instead of councilmen we have magistrates that represent six geographic areas within the county and they vote on budgetary issues and legislative issues and just basically go about running the business of the county. So I threw my hat in the ring for that. Um, Evans County is an absolutely wonderful place. Um, as, as much as I love Eastern Kentucky and Pike County and Appalachia and I couldn't be more proud of where I come from truly love that area. Evans County is one of the best places I've ever been. I love these people. They remind me a lot of people from home. 
Um, they're good, kind people that kind of want to be left to themselves. Sort of slow with outsiders, but I get it. Again, I come from a place where that's also true. Um, typically, you see that in areas where outsiders have taken advantage of them at some point in the past. They're just a little dog bit. Takes some time. Um, and that's true here, too. And it's very prevalent in our election results. And I knew that filing for magistrate against a fellow who has, who's from here, whose family's from here, who, you know, whose house is on the corner of one road and another road that's named after his family, um, that that would be an uphill battle. Um, not coming from here, um, not having a big family myself in this area, being that's just my parents and I and my and I have you know an aunt here that lived in that voting district. That being extremely uphill battle, but I feel like Edmondson County needs some new direction, needs some new ideas because we are suffering economically in this county uh, for reasons that baffle me. And I say that I understand why we're suffering. I just see no reason to continue suffering. So I threw my hat in the ring for that and uh, took a butt whooping. Um, pretty much got doubled up. I forget the exact vote total. It's probably a probably one of those mechanisms where your brain protects you from traumatic memories. But I think it was a lot to half. Let's just say it was, you know, 500 to 250. I think that's actually somewhat close. It might have been 4 to 2, something like that. But still proud. You look back over the election results over his last four elections, and he beat me by less than he beat anybody else. Um, it's a good way to think of that, like well, the Golden State Warriors. It, it, it's one of those things that at least a few people listened. A few people were on board. You know, you might have changed a couple minds. And... Uh, you know, my, my opponent got out and campaigned for the first time in a couple of elections. Well, I won't say for the first time, but campaigned a little harder than he had in the last few elections because he felt like maybe he had to. And if nothing else, if maybe it got him a little reinterested in the job, that's a good thing too. Um, but Evanston County, for those of you who don't know, um, you've got no reason to know where we are until I say Mammoth Cave National Park. And then a lot of people around the country, even some people around the world, have heard of Mammoth Cave National Park. Um, like the Grand Canyon, we're known for a giant hole in the ground. All right, so something like 60% of Mammoth Cave National Park resides within the limits of Edmondson County. It was given to the federal government as part of a land grant some time ago. We gave up ownership of that land um, in the early part of the century when the national parks were created, and the government took over that. And that's part of our problem. 60 per, or a third of our county was given away to the federal government that could never, ever be developed for land, uh, for commercial, for agriculture, or for residential. So, you know, there's a big chunk of land you can't possibly draw revenue off of, um, except for we get some some in-kind benefits from the federal government, but it's really very little, and we're sort of getting taken advantage of there. And the interstate system bypassed us when it came through, so we have a highway that runs through here. We're a rural area. But the story's not all bad for Evans County. We have a national park in our county that claims to draw a million visitors a year. Now, they are 10 minutes outside of Brownsville to the visitor center, and we really struggle to get them to come into Brownsville and spend any of their money on any other, whether it be food, gasoline, or tourism, because we've not really cultivated a tourist industry like we should have. In addition to having a national park, we've got to be one of the few counties in this country 
that have a national park on one end of the county and on the other end have a state park and a lake on the other, which draws hundreds of thousands of people every year um, from major cities in our state like Louisville and Lexington that come down here to visit. And again, we have draw trouble drawing them from the north side of the county, the extreme north of the county where the lake is, into the middle of the county to spend money because we've done nothing to cultivate a tourist industry in Edmondson County. And because our population is somewhat leery about inviting outsiders on a more intimate level into our lives. But ultimately... Well, I think that you'll find the majority of locals that talk about the Louisville people, that's the exact way they say it. They say, oh, I see Jefferson County plates. They automatically think that they're hoodlums, drunks, miscreants. They come down here because they think it's the Wild West. And I think that makes a lot of people pull back from what's going on. We have a motorsports park too yep. on that same side of the county that should be fantastic because the, I mean, that valley that's up there, that the Blue Holler, is fantastic for that. But the way that the locals have not been able to let that come in has been pretty well terrible. Um, they they don't want the new people in. They don't want them to come in here and spend money at our at our convenience stores or to spread money throughout our farmers markets or even come to our town. The locals don't want it. They talk about we want this place to grow, we want it to be better. But then when you actually implement some sort of plan, they don't like that plan. Well the problem is quickly becoming for me that Edmondson County is is you're starting to hear the same thing I heard before I left Pike County. Which is if you graduate high school in Edmondson County, you either have to drive to Warren County every day to find a job or join the service or farm. You have no options outside of farming for a financially uh, rewarding career inside of the county. And the only mechanism we have for economic growth in a town that's going to have no interstate access, um, in a town that has, or in a county that has a relatively small population, but has an abundant wealth of natural beauty and lakes and rivers and caves and parks is to grow tourism dollars, to get people from not here to spend money here. And if we can do that, businesses will grow up. Uh, whether you see more restaurants, more service stations, kayak rental places, cabin rental places, you know, uh, fishing outfitters, hunting outfitters. We are the, not to mention we have some of the best hunting around. Uh, we are quickly, Kentucky's quickly becoming known as a big buck state for deer hunters, and we've always been known for great turkey hunting. And Evans County's blessed with all that. Um, you know, just today at my gun shop, I had one customer in from Massachusetts who just happened to be at the lake, and he needed some fishing tackle. And he spent less than twenty bucks at my shop. I'm thrilled to have his twenty bucks. It has an impact. Mm -hmm. And while he was on his way down from the lake, he probably stopped for gas. When he could stop for gas, he probably bought, you know, water or Coke or cookies or whatever. And while they were in town, they probably stopped for lunch somewhere. These dollars really start to add up, and it makes a difference. Because mm -hmm. that's just one person. Imagine if there's ten more with him. Yeah, you know, I'm a realist. I mentioned that Mammoth Cave gets a million visitors. I don't think we'll ever get a million visitors to Brownsville. Nor do I want a million visitors to Brownsville. We couldn't handle them. Wouldn't know where to put them. Don't have the infrastructure for them. Um, but let's talk about getting 1% or 2% of a million visitors every year. It makes a huge impact on a small county like us. 
and that's just park. That doesn't mention the lake, you know. And it doesn't mention our. our I know we're we're working on becoming a trail town, and you know we've we've had a few. Uh, so trail town. Now explain that. What is what exactly is a trail town? Trail town is one of those uh, one of those markers they give towns like uh, you know, historic districts or um, you know scenic byways or whatever. It will put us on a map with other trail towns that are places where people can ride horses and rent kayaks and do walking and nature trails and all that sort of thing. It's just a, there's a type of tourist that looks for trail towns, likes to visit those, and by getting on that map, we may draw some of those. It'd be nice to be on some kind of map. Right. Additionally, uh, we've had a couple movies filmed in our county here recently. I think they're actually filming number three right now, two of which have been on Hallmark, which is a movie channel I don't watch because those movies are bad. But, hey, it's movies that are being filmed here. Right. And a lot of people watch Hallmark. Too bad they're all over 70. But, you know, some people watch it. You know, they brought in a film crew. They brought in actors. They spent their money here. They spent their time here. Brought in some... I mean, this is Evanston County. They had that dude that was played Rock in the 90s. I forget his real name. But love that guy. The TV show Rock, R-O-C. Yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic show. No idea what that show is. Oh, fantastic show. I think it came on either right before or right after Family Matters. Anyway. I only watched Family Matters, so that, that was it. That was also my first introduction to um, people that were not white. It was Family Matters, Family Matters and The Cosby Show. Um, another great little thing to say about our town. Uh, we don't have a lot of diversity here. I don't know if that's a great thing to say about our town. Uh, it is a thing about our town. It's, it's just a fact. Um, it's it, Maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm that's right. in my voice that you know should be. Um, but yeah, we just don't have a lot of diversity here. We have a lot more now than we ever did before, but there's just not a lot. It's a whole lot of the same thing over and over. Well, right, and, and listen, diversity is is a good thing, and we need more diversity here. Um, but when you have a community that was 100% white, and 10 years later it's 98% white, that's actually substantial growth because that means some people who aren't white moved in because white people tend to produce white people. Um, Typically. So yeah. you have to be attractive to people to try to get them to move in if you're ever going to have any diversity. You know, so in, in, a, in a town like ours, in a county like ours, where there's been no, basically no diversity for so long, it takes a long time to see a change in that. And when we're talking about a place before this, where we're talking about being limited opportunities and limited jobs and limited resources, you don't attract a lot of outsiders that way. There's also a, a different mindset that's here, too, um, that stays, I, I guess I would call it super conservative uh, because of the Bible Belt, um, which is weird because the Bible Belt seems to reach across all the flyover states. Everybody seems to be from the Bible Belt. That's from the South. That's from the Midwest. That's from the North, um, with the exception of you know the extreme North. Everybody claims Bible Belt. So in a county like ours, that's a dry county. And we have 120 counties in Kentucky, and the majority of them are dry. Uh, and this is also where we make all the bourbon. It's weird that the majority of our distilleries are in dry counties. Um, so legalization of anything um, that's here, it, it, it's just not, I don't see it happening. And until we can, you know, maybe tap into some of that market, it, it's going to be difficult for growth. I'm thrilled to live in the Bible Belt. I think the foundation of faith that this community has is one of the things that makes it more attractive. It keeps it grounded, and I think it's a stereotype 
that says that generations of Christians are resistant to all change, that Christians are resistant to diversity, that Christians are resistant to anything. I think that that's, that's a stereotype that's not true for most. I think most of that resistance comes from a generation. Um, most human beings are resistant to things they don't know. So you have generations that grow up without these things that you want to see or that you think you need or that we, that we would like to see come in here. The generations that grew up without those are going to be naturally resistant. You know, at some point we have to stop pretending that people aren't people. Most people are afraid of things they don't understand. That is just a thing. It's always been a thing. It probably always will be a thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think that's the Christian population. I think it's a generational issue. Very, very possible. Because as I left, that's when my, my ideals changed. When things were more convenient in the rest of the world and, and just different for every culture that I visited. Um, that's when I developed my ideas and how what things I think should be. Um, and I love Edmondson County. I love living here. I, I love the cost of living. I love the people. Um, however, there's a lot of talking out of both sides of their mouth when it's they say they want growth. They say they want diversity. They say they want change. And then when it starts to happen, they absolutely knee-jerk and get away from it. There's a great saying around here that people in Edmonds County want change as long as everything stays the same. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that is part of human nature and a generational thing. We tend to think of a, in America, uh, everything in our history seems to center around movements. You know, the, the American Revolution, the abolitionist movement, the civil rights movement. These are movements because they're generational things. A group of people are born into roughly the same age group that have the same feelings about a particular subject. And because of their youth and passion, they tend to be able to drive it home. Um, but generally you find that through all those movements, even when history shows those to be wonderful things, the generation before tends to be resistant. It's not because they were evil people. It's because they didn't know no damn better. Ignorance is bliss. It really is. So then what generation is going to bring change to Edmondson County? Well, I tell people all the time, it better be ours. Uh, people complain that, uh, well, so-and-so has been in power for 20 years and nothing's ever going to change. And I remind them on a regular basis that you and I are going to outlive them. And so, not that I'm wishing anybody would die, it's just, it's just a fact. If you were complaining that the politicians in your area are all just a bunch of old men who've been in power too long, you will outlive them. Even if you can't outvote them yet, the big thing is when they do pass and when it's time for new people to take over and it's your turn up to bat, are you willing to change anything? I find that people are more willing to move away than to vote. Oh, it's much easier to seek out greener pastures than it is to actually fix something. Yeah. I mean, that's our, that's our culture. If something's, fixing, if something's broken, buy a new one. You know, if you don't like where you live, move. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. Um, I resorted to that at a young age when I left. Um, it was, this place has nothing for me. There's no jobs here. There's nothing I want to do here. Therefore, I've got to go. Uh, it was helpful for me, and I had no intention of coming back, but it just kind of happened. Uh, Mom and Dad fell ill. It was time to come home. And now I'm glad that I did. You know, there's other parts of the world I still want to go see and I want to experience, but this is always home. Yeah, I went home 
couple weeks ago. I made my first visit back to Pike County in, I don't know, aside from a funeral to run up into the funeral home and run right back, probably a decade or better. And they say you can't go home again, right? Heard that your whole life. That's stunningly true. Um, first of all, you know, when I left Pike County, um, I had family everywhere I looked. I had friends everywhere I looked. I stayed in Pikeville for three days and saw nobody I knew. And if you'd said that to, you know, high school junior, high school senior Josh, he'd have said you were insane. You know, I can't throw a rock without hitting somebody I know. Um, but because so many of us left and so few of us returned, um, and because family, as it tends to, gets older and passes on or moves out, as the political climate turned on the coal industry, and many of those people had to leave to find new opportunities, there's just fewer people. Now, don't get me wrong. I have some high school friends that I haven't seen in 20 years that if I went looking and knocking on doors, they, they'd welcome me. And, you know, we could have had a big time. But to, to be able to walk around that town and not bump into people you know left and right, I, just unimaginable to, me, unimaginable to me as a youth. And the other thing you say you can't go home again is Pikeville has, Pikeville City has changed so much you know when I was in high school we talked about there's nothing to do in this town we are so bored we had a Walmart and that's where we went for fun you know just let's go hang out at Walmart it's insane something wrong with people that hang out at Walmart that's what we had but we had to go to Litchfield for it right so <laughs> and when we said there's nothing to do there we, we were right and when we said there were no jobs there we were right you know, so we left. You go back now, and Pikeville has changed. They had a small college. Always did. My mother graduated from there. It's gone public. Now the University of Pikeville. It's just crazy. Um, so the college has exploded. Um, that explosion of growth in the college has brought in a whole new student body, which is a whole new group of young people, which is a whole new group of consumers, which is a whole new workforce. The hospital in Pikeville has grown leaps and bounds. They now... Uh, they now seem to own roughly half the town. You can tell because every building they purchase, they paint black. It's supposed to look like coal dust. It's just depressing. But that seems... You're talking about an area whose economic base was coal for 100 years. And this town, just before coal took its giant downturn, really pushed its college and really pushed its hospital and kind of made a switch in its economic base. That is now the two main economic drivers in town. And along with that came all these new people, all these young people. It became chain restaurants like Buffalo Wild Wings and Texas Roadhouse and, you know, Moe's. And none of this sounds impressive to any of you people who live in normal America, but in Pikeville, this is big news. Uh, retail establishments like Rural King and Tractor Supply, um, modern like... Uh, townhome and loft apartments being built downtown. Um, there's a distillery in Pikeville, which is just dang near blasphemous. Um, there's talk of a couple other distilleries come. They built a large expo center that houses Medium Acts. You know, uh, you might get a 38 special or <laughs> Leonard Skinner revival. But also Chris Stapleton played there last year. You know, he's from the area, so he kind of played down a little bit to us. You know, you know, smaller venue for than what he could fill up, but he did. He played, he played. Um, you go downtown, they've cleaned it up. They've buried all the power lines downtown. All these horrible wooden poles have been replaced with black wrought iron poles. They've taken all the uh, crosswalks and intersections in downtown 
and replaced the asphalt with brick pavers. Um, they've strung lights all through downtown. It's beautiful. They play music. When we were down there, they shut down Main Street, brought out tables and chairs with white tablecloths, and did dinner on Main. I mean, all this was unimaginable to me as a youth. So the, it's a different place. I stayed at a Hampton Inn next to a Hilton Garden. The big hotel that came to town when I was in high school was the Super 8. Man, did they have to recruit their own roaches there, or do they bring them with them? Uh, the Days Inn down the road had plenty to share. Oh, that's good. That's good. At least they were using the resources they had. That's right. That's good. That's right. So I think Edmondson County and Pike County have some real uh, similarities. Um, and I had conversations with people when I was running for magistrate when I talk about tourism, 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 tourism. Uh, well, you want to turn us into Pigeon Forge. No, I don't, because Pigeon Forge didn't become Pigeon Forge overnight. But I can say with somewhat certainty, I'm not even trying to turn us into Pikeville. And that should worry people in Edmondson County. <laughs> um, but if Pikeville can change, any place on God's green earth can change. Because, I mean, that, that really is the heart of coal country. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Eastern Kentucky, at one point, and again, I, I can't tell you when these numbers came or when they changed, but at one point, in some of the counties in Eastern Kentucky represented four of the poorest counties in all of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have major health disparities there. Um, they lead the nation in hypertension, in diabetes, in heart disease. Um, you see, so you had... I mean, for decades, and still to this day, in some in some areas of Appalachia, back home, you you have major health disparities, major income disparities, um, lack of access to basic social services in a lot of places. I mean, it's still a rough place to live in a lot of ways, but it's coming up, and that's that's great, that's wonderful, and if they can do it, Edmondson County can do it. So, do you think that maybe that's a, a good marker for the rest of the country? Um, I want to show that kind of improvement? I don't think I can ever bring myself to say that Pike County is a good marker for the rest of the country. I mean, if that's the lowest of the low and they're doing good, that's, we were it's ne- got to be better other We places. were never the lowest of the low again. One of the things they had going for it that Evanston County has going for it is you have good people who aren't afraid to work for things. You know, uh, you, you hear stories about well, my grandparents had to build this one-room house with their bare hands, and that stuff happened. And, you know, they passed that work ethic down. And, yes, you know, the stereotype is that everybody's on opioids and disability. And some of that's true. <laughs> but there are still plenty of people who, um, who believe in hard work and believe in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and can still get it done. So I want to kind of change gears here. Um, You know, in in the owning of the gun shop, you know all the hunters uh, that are local and and really not local, uh, the ones that are going and doing trips and everything else. Um, How much of your life is occupied by hunting and hunting-related discussions on the day-to-day when you're at the gun store? Well, hunting seems to seep into my life all the time, and I call myself a hunter, but hunting is a sport that... Uh, very much requires a time commitment that I've not had in the last few years so I've not been able to hunt like I'd like to Um, hunting is something I did a little as a kid but have really gotten 
into only in the last few years and so I have a lot to learn so it's one of those things that I wish I had more time to spend so I could be better at it so I could learn about it and all that but um, growing up in Evanston County I would imagine that for people that grew up in Evanston County and people that are here now with everything we talked about in the town before if you don't hunt or fish I'm not sure how you spend your days if you're not involved in outdoor activities, of course, nowadays we're seeing outdoor sports like kayaking grow, you know, and people are doing more of that and, you know, off-road parks and stuff like that. But that stuff didn't exist before, but hunting and fishing always did. Um, so there's still a humongous hunting and fishing culture here. You know, archery is still a big program in the schools. Um, you have organizations like the NWTF, National Wild Turkey Federation, uh, Foundation, excuse me, National Wild Turkey Foundation, that, uh, gives out youth hunts and takes kids hunting all the time. Um, so hunting is a huge part of what I do as far as my business at the store. Um, the majority of gun purchases are still self-defense related. Um, right now in the industry, concealed carry makes up the biggest part of our sales. Um, but while those types of sales tend to spike and then valley, spike and then valley, hunting stays steady, you know, based around the hunting seasons. You know you're going to sell game calls and shells and guns for turkey season in the spring, for deer in the fall, you know, for coyote in the winter, you, you know that stuff's going to come. And it's it's predictable, and it's a, it's a part of who we are here in Edmondson County. And again, it's another area of opportunity for tourism here. As if you buy a hunting license in state for Kentucky, they're pretty cheap. They're quite a bit more if you're an out-of-stater. We, we make some decent money off those. So you mentioned something there, and I kind of want to—I kind of want to rabbit hole off of this. Um, concealed carry. I'm not sure rabbit hole is a verb. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> All right, that's, sure. that's where we're going. We're going down this rabbit hole. Uh, concealed carry. There's been a law uh, that's changed in Kentucky, and you can probably correct me on this. Um, but come next month, if you have a state driver's license, you can you can conceal carry in the state of Kentucky. Come July first, and. You need a driver's license, obviously, but you also need a, you need to be of proper age and have a clean criminal background. What is proper age? Um, to conceal carry, be 21. Okay. But you can be 18 and own a pistol. And you can be 18 and open carry in Kentucky. Most people don't know that, but yes, you can open carry in Kentucky at 18. cannot conceal it until you're 21. So, all you have to do is have a Kentucky driver's license, be of age. And you can conceal carry. And have a clean criminal background. So in other words, you not be a felon. You can't be restricted for any other reason that would prevent you from buying a firearm. And not just felons. In the United States, there is one misdemeanor crime that will restrict you from buying a firearm. Is that domestic abuse? That is domestic violence. Okay. Which I think we ought to just make a felony because it's weird to have one set of laws for one law. With all the thousands of laws we have on the books, we only have this one that will chill your gun rights. I think we ought to just make domestic violence a felony. I really do too. Because, I mean, if it happens in any major sport... You get ousted anyway, and you're right. done. You're no longer able to provide for that family that you beat on uh, anymore. So, But Kentucky passed what they called a constitutional carry law. Now, I am as pro-gun as anybody on the planet. Um, I believe in the Second Amendment. Um, well, I say I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe the Second Amendment just protects a natural right we already had from the government. Um, it's a God-given right to self-protection. But... I don't like the term constitutional carry being used uh, to promote a permitless carry 
system. So I've had a concealed carry permit for years. I can carry a concealed weapon with a permit. There are some gun rights advocates that believe by making me have that permit, you're infringing upon my Second Amendment rights. So that's where they developed this constitutional carry bill, where they say the Constitution guarantees me this right to carry, and uh, you can't restrict it. So they passed this law. I don't think the Constitution says that. I think that the Constitution says that the right to keep and bear shall not be infringed. There's some other words in there, but that's, that's the gist of it. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. We all know what keep means. That means own. Bear. What does bear mean? Well, bear means to use. Um, you know, if, if, if back in the day when the Navy talked in a, little, in a little more flowery way, they would tell people to bring your guns to bear. Point them at the target. We're going to use your guns. Um, it does not say keep bear and hide. I don't see any language in there that guarantees you the right to conceal a firearm. And I'm a big believer in, I think it was Judge, how Judge Scalia put it, that the Constitution says what it says, not what you wish it said. Um, I really believe that. I, and I believe we all have a God-given right to self-protection, and I believe the Bill of Rights exists not to give us rights, but to protect those rights from ever being infringed on by our own government. Um, and enumerates some rather natural rights, one of which is self-protection. Um, and I believe guns are an important part of that. Guns have a huge historical and cultural relevance in America. Um, but I don't have a huge problem with saying you have to have a permit to carry a concealed one. Now, all that being said, and this is some semantic gymnastics on my part, I kind of get it in that if open carry is I have a pistol on my belt in a holster that you can see that is considered open carry and I do not need a permit for it. Now my t-shirt accidentally drops over the top of it and I'm either committing a small felony or I need a permit because my t-shirt fell over it. That's a weird law, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's a weird law. But how do you how do you then regulate intent? Was he actually hiding it or did he put something on a high shelf and now his shirt's over top of it? How often is that actually getting enforced, though? Well, I think it's one of those add-ons. You know, if the cops are arresting you for other stuff and you have a concealed weapon, because otherwise they don't know you have it. Right. They're, unless they're searching you, they don't know you have it. So it's one of those charges that get added on. But it's, it's still a law in the books, and it, it is a weird law. We say that um, in the past we've said that if you want to conceal a weapon, you must have a certain level of training. And that made sense to us. We said, yeah, if you're going to hide a gun, you should have some training in how to use that gun. But I don't need that training just to have it on my belt. It's also weird. Because it's the same exact thing. There's just a t-shirt over it now. So going from that, should they have to have that training, in your opinion, that same training to own a firearm? No. Should a reasonable person seek out training to use a firearm? Yes. What's a reasonable person? I I'm saying that counting myself as a reasonable person. If I go out and buy any dangerous implement, a backhoe, I should probably get somebody to show me how to use that. Be a good idea. Same is true of a firearm. We say we're getting them for self-defense. Um, well, and some people just collect pretty guns. Do I need training to collect pretty guns? No. But if I'm going to carry a gun or keep a gun in the home for self-defense, training is important. Um, I can point to you to a hundred different videos that, that can help demonstrate this, but the truth is that buying a gun does not make you a capable defender of yourself or your home. That 
takes training, that takes practice, that takes repetition. It is a, it is a highly perishable skill that if you don't practice goes away. And you know, it, it takes a certain mindset because now you are keeping ostensibly loaded weapons, you know, and you want to make sure you're doing that in a way that's safe for other people, safe for children. And if you've not grown up in that, if you've not um, served in a capacity that you've got some of that training, you don't have those experiences, then yeah, you should probably seek out a little bit of training as you would with any other. You want to learn to drive a car, somebody's got to show you how. Yeah, you do have to take a test. You do, there is regulation for that. Yeah, keeping in mind, I don't consider driving to be a natural right. I don't want anybody to have to take a test on a firearm. But what I'm saying, and I believe in personal responsibility, that I think you should, as a gun owner, get training. Would I ever say that you have to? Absolutely not, because this is America. And if you want to be an idiot, you're allowed to be an idiot. Do you provide any of this said training uh, within your gun store, or do you refer it out? I don't. I send that out uh, to uh, really just one concealed carry instructor. I, I send mostly to uh, John and Sharon Madison and their son, Leon, great teachers. Um, they actually taught my class. Right. I, I don't teach it. Um, there's, I don't have the license to teach. Somebody has to teach you how to be a teacher. I don't have the time. Um, and there are people who are better at it, and I just leave it to them. So with, with these state mandates that are out there for what age you can be to carry, what age you can be to own, what age you can be to conceal carry, um, at what age do you think, and this is, again, just Josh's opinion, what age do you think um, children should be educated on the use of firearms, safety of firearms, and proper handling? I would never put a number on that because at the end of the day you have to know your child, know when your child is ready, and know when you're ready take responsibility for all that uh, I would tell you that at the earliest I would recommend it at the earliest age you think your child is ready to start learning start teaching because so I think the most dangerous thing that could ever happen is a child stumbles upon a gun that he's never seen before has no knowledge of and says ooh what's that and wants to figure it out for himself kids are very naturally curious they're going to figure stuff out you know um, whatever's laying around they're going to pick up uh, whatever most of the time it goes in their mouth at a certain age you know they want to see how stuff works they tear stuff apart just to see what's inside that's going to apply to firearms so if you don't educate them and then they find yours they're going to try to educate themselves that's what kids do that's super dangerous so then how do you feel um, about locking guns away versus having them available for self-defense home defense well we are lucky to live in a time when you no longer have to choose there are a huge variety of products on the market that give you rapid access to locked weapons. Okay, with the push of a three-button sequence, you know, boop, 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 I can have a gun unlocked, loaded, ready to go, and I, I can have this locked box on my nightstand, under my bed, built into the wall, in, into art on the wall, wh whatever you want. And, or you can do it with a fingerprint, or you can wear an RFID bracelet, or you can have it on your keychain. There's just a million ways now uh, whether it be a combination lock, a key lock, a biometric lock. You know, the problem was nobody wants to sit and play with a dial in the dark to try to unlock the safe when they need a gun. It's not going to work. Nobody wants to go looking for a key. But if you're telling me I can scan my fingerprint or I can put in a digital code, you know, with tap, 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 that's quick. Now, the, the opposition to this will say that 
well, if you have to, you know, unlock it, then what's the point of even having it? Um, because you need to keep it away from children completely and utterly. So how, how do you find that fine line, that balance? Well, I would tell you that when you budget for owning a gun for self-defense, you have to budget these systems we're talking about. So if you don't have kids or your kids are gone and left the house, this really doesn't apply to you. There's a big chunk of America right there that doesn't have to worry about this. But yes, if you're going to have children, you're going to have guns, you need to be prepared to maybe spend a little extra um, to, to safeguard them. I'm not saying you have to. Again, this is America. They're your kids. I'm telling you how I feel and how I would handle my kids. Um, I'm going to teach my kids. I'm going to discipline my kids. But also because kids are kids, I'm going to take a few extra steps to protect their safety, just like I would spend the money on, say, a baby gate at the top of the steps. I can tell them not to go down the stairs, but stuff happens, okay? And getting into one of these rapid access safes is no fat, is no slower than pulling open your sock drawer and getting your gun out. So I don't think that's a big time compromise. Um, and I think it is a huge, huge benefit. Do you offer this advice to new customers that come in? Or do you reserve this maybe for people you have more rapport with that you feel like you can actually give them advice without that backlash? I offer the advice pretty freely, but I was trained as a salesperson. Uh, one of the things you do is you qualify a customer. Qualifying a customer is asking a series of questions to help you determine why the customer is there, what's gonna best suit their needs, and how best you can serve them, okay? so. In my conversation, if somebody's new in my store and they tell me, hey, I'm thinking about getting a gun for, for self-defense, I'll ask them, have you ever been a gun owner? Well, no, I'm new to guns, okay. Have you ever shot many guns? No, not really, okay. Well, maybe a revolver's good for you. It's great to learn on, it's simple, it's easy. Uh, do you have kids? And you know, we, we can, if, depending on how they answer, we can talk about some of this other stuff. Plus, from a purely self-benefit standpoint, I can sell the rapid access safes. So as a salesperson, it behooves me to say, if they have children, hey, you need this product to help keep your children safe, BTW, I sell this product. That is helpful. And I, I have noticed, because the gun store for a long time for me was a great hangout. I would just go there, sit and listen. Uh, one, to, to your sales, and to the other people that kind of would hang around. And I would notice something very prevalent that I've told other people, never told you directly, but you would sell people what they need and not always what they want. I watched you many times talk somebody out of a gun that was more expensive because they needed the one that didn't cost nearly as much. I think anybody who's a salesman gets labeled as a used car salesman. But anybody who's good at sales ought to pride themselves on doing that in that I'm more concerned about customer loyalty. I can make an extra $100 off you today or I can try to put you into what I believe is going to serve you better and might make you a lifelong customer. Uh, prime example, um, a, a guy came into my shop some years back and he was actually, of course we're in Evans County, but he was actually headed back to Eastern Kentucky to do some work on nat natural gas wells in the hills. And he was concerned with snakes, copperheads in particular, and he's right to do so, that's an issue back mm -hmm. home. Um, so he was looking at what's called a Taurus Judge. Basically, this is a revolver that shoots shotgun shells because contrary to what you see in the movies, shooting a single projectile at a snake that's moving while you're scared is super hard. Mm -hmm. So the judge makes a lot of sense that you have a shotgun shell shooting a bunch of tiny little pellets in a larger spread. You're more likely to hit this snake. 
this is a you know five hundred dollar weapon that he's he's commended. My problem is snakes. My solution is the Taurus Judge. Um, and I says, that seems like an expensive varmint gun. It is, but then again, snake bites suck too. Um, but you know, he said it's hard to hit a snake with my thirty eight revolver. I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, so I need this judge. And I said, well, have you considered snake shot for your 38 revolver? He says, what's that? Snake shot is a 38 special cartridge that's been capped and loaded with small pellets like a shotgun shell. Well, isn't that the same thing as the judge? I said, well, it's not quite as powerful, uh, but you're killing snakes, not, you know, rhinoceroses. Uh, rhinoceroses? That's what Shirley Temple said. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're not killing rhinos. Um, so this will definitely kill a snake. Bird, rat. You've heard it called bird shot, rat shot, snake shot. We call it snake shot back home because that's what we shoot at more. Um, so instead of selling him a $500 pistol, I sold him a $12 box of ammo. Now to some people that seems stupid. But that level of honesty with a customer builds rapport to the point where they don't come into your store assuming every time that you're trying to sell them something and they come into your store looking for advice that they're then going to trust and you, you can have a long-term relationship with a customer who's going to buy more than once from you. And I think it's in the end, it's the most financially beneficial relationship you can have with a customer. I wholeheartedly agree. And that's why I've been, you know, a long time customer. I don't buy a lot because I don't have a lot of gun money. They're expensive. They are. They they cost quite a bit. Um, I do wish I had more gun money, but typically my money goes to uh, traveling to World's Strongest Man, Strongest Woman in the World, Nationals, Masters Nationals, um, Iceland later this year for some some more podcasting. Um, that's just typically where my money goes. Uh, I like guns. I have several, but I just don't always spend all the money that I want to at your store. Um, I won't go to anybody else's store. Uh, I just won't do it. Uh, one, because you're a friend, but two, because I know I'm going to get what I need there. You've talked me out of several things while I was there. Because um, I'd come in there with something on my mind, and you'd say, that's not a great idea. Convince me otherwise, um, and then I would get actually what I needed for the purpose. I mentioned earlier that when you're making a living in corporate sales, that you're often pushed to sell people stuff they don't necessarily need, and that's soul-crushing. Mm-hmm. I decided pretty early on if I was going to stay in sales but do it for myself, it's just not how it's going to be done. Absolutely. So with all that being said, you know, the gun store is still pretty successful. Um, to have a business like that, to come up in Edmonton County, is a, is a difficult venture for sure. Um, and for you to be there for seven years now, um, that's that's a really really huge deal. You've you've overcome the first three, which is usually your your marker if you're going to be successful or not. Uh, you have a good customer base, but you're always looking for new customers, of course, as with any business. So, how can our listeners uh, contact you or contact um, the gun store directly? Uh, do you have social media? What are what are all your venue or avenues of, of contact? So, of course, you can find me at CNC Firearms. That's the name of the store in Brownsville, Kentucky. Uh, we're next to Family Dollar if you're local. Um, you can get us on the phone at 270-597-1005. Also very accessible on Facebook. Just search CNC Firearms. 
There's one in California, but you probably don't need to message them. Um, now, is that C-N-C or C-A-N-C or C-Ampersand? C? Ampersand. We got fancy. So Ampersand. C-N-C. Yeah. So, um, Josh Casey and the C is for Casey. So, Casey and Casey. C-N-C Firearms on Facebook. Uh, we respond to questions every day. Um, sometimes even after hours, if I glance at it and catch you, I'll try to answer your question. Uh, we're a smaller shop in a smaller town, but uh, we can order anything you need if we don't have it. Um, with, with a couple of exceptions, I'm not a Kimber or Benelli dealer, but past that, generally speaking, whatever you need, we can get for you. Sounds great, Josh. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to talk to us today and, and you know open your home up to me. Uh, I think this is the fourth time I've ever been invited over here, and you've had this house for several years now. Um, the 14th. 40th, 10th time you've, mm-hmm. you've been here? Because no. it's not the time I've been invited. So You just don't like to show up. Just for fun. Um, but I really want to thank Josh for you know opening up, opening up his house for us and letting us come in and, and getting to know him a little bit better and some of the intricacies of what Evans County is. So I look forward to having you on the show again. Um, thanks. Thanks, Dave.